Welcome to the Feeling Bookish podcast. Just a quick note before we begin this episode. Unfortunately, due perhaps to the disastrous weather we've been having in the United States over the last week, this episode was plagued with technical difficulties and we ended up losing a large portion of the conversation between host Robert Fay and guest Elon Starvins. Despite the difficulties we had, it was truly a wonderful conversation and we've been able to cobble together a large portion of it. So we hope you enjoy. Here it is. Welcome to the Feeling Bookish podcast. I'm Rob Fay, and I'm joined by my co-host Roman Sivkin and producer Heston Hoffman. Today, we are excited to talk about the Argentine writer Ricardo Piglia and his trilogy of books, The Diaries of Emilio Renzi from Restless Books. And we'll do this in grand style with special guests, Elon Stavins, who is the publisher of Restless Books, as well as being a professor at Amherst College, author, editor of several books himself, and host of the NPR podcast, In Contrast. Also joining us is the translator of these very special books, Robert Kroll. Rob, this is an amazing record of a life passionately, wholeheartedly dedicated to living the literary life come hell or high water. And hell did come. Uh, It's a hyper-intelligent, reads like an existential thriller times and serves as a crash course in literature, uh, both Argentine and and world literature. it's a record, really, of a life uh, rooted in reading and writing and uh, treating literature as a way of life or turning life into art. So we're really excited to uh, talk about Ricardo Piglia. Uh, Elon and Robert, uh, welcome. And uh, Elon, perhaps I'll, I'll start with you. Um, you know, in your introduction in the first volume, you know, you talk about how um, uh, with all of these notebooks that um, Ricardo Piglia he focused on his alter ego, Emilio Renzi. And uh, you point out, you know, it switches from first to third person and back. And I love this part. You say that the diaries generate, quote, a sense of alienation, wonderment, and displacement in the reader, which is, which is really wonderful. Um, you know, you also make the point a bit later on that these books, in a way, are kind of the Argentine or the Latin American answer to autofiction, um, you know, maybe in the vein of Carl Ave Nosgaard, which, again, is a, a beautiful observation. So, so maybe we can just start by um, help us understand why Piglia is using this alter ego, Emilio Renzi, because it's also in uh, his, his earlier novels in, in short fiction. Piglia is an inheritor of the modernist idea that the writer creates an alternative reality. That reality might be in the form of a geography, like Faulkner. Piglia was a passionate, devoted reader of Faulkner that has its own uh, landscape, its own metabolism, different families, genealogies, even its own way of measuring time. In Latin America, the generation just prior to Piglia had developed a very sophisticated sense of how the novel could indeed be an entryway to an alternative reality through Borges, another figure that is crucial for Piglia, and Garcia Marquez, who creates this mythical town, Macondo, in the Caribbean uh, coast of Colombia that uh, mimics the Yognapataupa County 
of, uh, of Faulkner. But Piglia wanted to do something else, uh, less a geography than uh, an alternative personality for himself. He wanted to uh, get a sense of one or a set of characters that would be his friends throughout his, his writing career. And in the many novels and short stories, occasionally in the essays, he keeps on coming back to those characters, and he feels that one of them, Emilio Renzi, is a, a version of himself. Maybe the most astonishing and lasting aspect of, of Piglia's career is the shaping of these diaries that he started a, a developing very early on, and that when he discovered at the end of his life that he had Lou Gehrig's disease, he was concluding his teaching career at Princeton and was ready to go back to Argentina to, to produce a series of books that would uh, be ready uh, in, his, in that last period for when he was no longer around. He came to the realization that it was really Renzi who had become the centripetal force in his entire writing career. And it gives me the impression, because I have seen the original journals that he kept, that that decision of uh, using Renzi as, his, as the alter ego, as the author, as the author autobiographer, uh, allows him to be both in, in, in a closer relationship with himself, a, a of himself that he has built, and also to take a distance, to be objective, and to have a sense that he himself, Ricardo Piglia, is a character. And if he created Emilio Renzi, now it could be the other way around. Renzi created Piglia. Yeah. You know, that that's beautiful. And it, it, it sort of answers, because one of the questions I had was, when he was keeping, when Piglia was keeping these notebooks throughout his life and career, you know, was he writing them essentially as Piglia? And then at the end of his life, when he transcribed the diaries, did he then sort of impose this alter ego back into the notebooks? But it sounds like you're, you're saying, no, Renzi was always the, the, the alternate universe within these notebooks, if that makes sense. I think that's true to some extent, except that, uh, you know, he started he started the project at around age 16. So it was, you know, and the the the, the uh, Emilio Renzi character, it's partly derived from his his full name. Um, you know, so so to that extent, you know, it was it was there from the beginning. But, you know, it was it was something that kind of was distilled and evolved over time. The character was in his first collection of short stories, but kind of um, expanded. You know, over the course it, of, it, it seems of to life. me that the yeah this this theme was there right from the beginning. This is Roman, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 right there at the inception of these diaries. Is already wrestling with this idea of who is writing uh, mm -hmm. and what is this for. Uh, it's right from Absolutely. the get go. And actually, that's Robert. I wanted to ask you as a translator because mm -hmm. this is already a doubled work. There's already a doubling going yeah. on, um, mm -hmm. and yet you come in here as a translator. <laughs> Yeah, it's another another layer of doubling, right? So yeah. He's writing about his education, and so you you're you're sort of adding a third layer, or maybe a fourth or fifth or sixth, whatever. This is not the layer of the translation; it's a book within a book. Uh, it's something that Piggly has done himself. So I'm just wondering how how you lived with this book, with these books, really three books uh, over the years, as you've been translating them, 
Piglia, Piglia yeah. dies in the bit, you know, in the middle of your your project, so to speak. Just wondering about that that sort of life with these notebooks as you were. Yeah, no, I mean, it really, it really, I think, in, you know, informed, informed my own thinking in a lot of ways that I kind of, you know, I'm still figuring out now, um, you know, for, for a while, I think what, you know, kind of midway through translating the first volume, um, by that point, the, the third one wasn't out yet. So I didn't kind of know the, the exact scope that the project would end up being. But uh, I, you know, I think I, I kind of involuntarily started keeping a, a diary, uh, you know, in, in, in kind of much the same way that he was. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Um, actually the, you know, the very beginning when you're, when you're talking to Ilan about, um, the way that it, that it switches between first and third person in the book, that's, it's a, mechanically, uh, was a huge challenge in terms of the translation because Spanish can be much more ambiguous between first and third person. Um, particularly in the past, you don't you don't require the subject, and some of the verb forms are the same. So he's able to kind of like slide fluidly between the two, and you have to sort of uh, you know limit it at times, um, or make it not not necessarily limit it, but make it a little bit more explicit in the English uh, than is there in the Spanish. Um, and I you know uh, I think it it that kind of treatment of the self um, that that happens throughout the diaries. Uh, you know, led me to become introspective in a way that I not I wasn't necessarily before I started the project. Um, Interesting. And kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's something that he talks about a lot is uh, the feeling of having kind of like two lives, like looking looking through, you know, diary entries and not remembering any of the material, um, hmm. and uh, and then having these like you know crystal clear defining memories from his life that don't appear anywhere in the diaries. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a contradiction that it, it, for one thing, it makes it very difficult in the translation sometimes because there are things that, uh, were probably opaque to him, you know, e even, even when he included them. Um, but, but it's funny, it, he knows that they're opaque to him. He, he's aware of, of the fact that he can't see. So it's like yeah. this weird, weird, uh, knowledge of something he doesn't know yet. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah and so there's something um you know about the the kind of mass of all of that uh raw material of of the self that you know it it, it kind of it creates something in its in its combination that isn't you, you can't exactly trace it to any particular moment you know right and while we just lost uh, i think we lost uh, uh elon a little bit but we'll try oh. to get him back but meanwhile i'm i'm, I'm wondering robert because this this theme of doubling of of sort of multiple personalities, so to speak, is also very much tied into uh, the sense of time that is very much explored in these books. Like mm -hmm. uh, the first the, the first volume, the formative years, we yeah. we are privileged. We're really truly privileged to see his education, get the the, the highlights, the things that mm -hmm. really stuck in his mind throughout his university and and just autodidactic and sort of education, yeah. the stuff that he's reading. We get mm -hmm. all these. All these sort of mental notes. Uh, first of all, the guy yeah. is just an extremely hyper intelligent person. He's just oh, so it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible, and I and it's and it kind of you know one, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the project is that it, it's kind of like sort of like micro criticism. You know, um, every now and then you'll get just a just a glimpse of you know sometimes he'll just say what he's reading, but sometimes he'll just have you know a single line kind of encapsulating his reading of it. Um, and you know they they're just kind of interspersed with everything, um, uh, every, you know all of the other 
kind of personal material. And so you see, you see the way that, you know, it, it's a collection of texts informing his life just as much as his experiences are. No, it's, it's really, um, I, I love the way the first volume progresses. You can, you can, at first, um, I didn't really catch it, but as I kept on reading, I realized that I'm reading something that's written by a 20 year old or an 18 year old or a 21 year old. And I'm, and I was trying to remember myself at that age. And I'm, and I was like, it's kind of embarrassing because I was just an idiot compared to this guy, you know? Um, yeah. but, but it's a wonderful to see this, this intelligence just coming alive in front of your eyes, because I had to read these. I mean, you worked on these, Robert, for years, but I, mm-hmm. I had to read these in a couple of months. So it was this life that's condensed, and yeah, I, I, it's just so rich, almost like. And it really, I really, it almost does, wanted to stop, you know, and read it. Yeah, <laughs> it does, and it does really, you know, create the the full experience of of kind of like coming into yourself and and aging as well. Um, you know, it's the the that's a, that's a really good point about the the kind of like the scope of time. You know, um, even, you know, he, he talks about, uh, he talks about, you know, like struggling kind of like formally how to collect the work and then ultimately deciding on kind of keeping the chronology. Um, and yet he, you know, he kind of, he's kind of lying about doing that also. He really does. He really does make it a lot more complex than just a sort of like straightforward chronological order. Um. I, I and, think it's again, know, it's, it's part of his wrestling with the whole time issue. Yeah, uh, exactly. He he talks about the future as something to fear, or also the future is where the meaning lies. You're not going to find mm-hmm. meaning now. Just keep doing mm-hmm. these things, keep doing these entries, keep thinking through literature. The meaning will sort of come later. Yeah. Uh, but as we move through through his early life, and as Argentina takes a dark turn politically. Mm-hmm. Um, you can sort, you can really sense the this weird paranoia yeah, entering exactly the, the, the language, the thoughts. Yeah. You know, it. yeah, and I think it's important to point out that the you know the the way that the 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 three volumes are broken up by time, you know, formative years, happy years, and then a day in the life. Um, but also, it, the section is the plague years. Um, hmm. Those are not they're really just referring to his own life, but also Argentina, you know, and you know, political history as well, it really informs that organization. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, it, it takes a lot of, um, you know, there are lots of levels at which to read this, but it, to, to kind of like fully appreciate everything that's happening, I think you have to kind of look at, uh, you know, Argentine history and Latin American history, you know, kind of like, and on, you know, the same timeline um, and how it, how it kind of like creates these critical moments in his life that, you know, uh, he, you kind of, he can't escape politics. He can't just be sort of like only interested in form. Yeah. He tries (laughs) at various times, you know, he can, he can be like very kind of like cloistered at at certain times, but, uh, it's, it's kind of impossible, you know, you know, um, just to, to sort of, uh, uh, connect to that a little bit. One of the things I found interesting was, in the first volume, there is a glossary of notable mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. There are no glossaries in, this, in the, the other two versions. The one mm-hmm. thing that was curious was there were no footnotes, um, you know, extrapolating on references to, you know, Argentine politics and culture. But I didn't feel that as a lack. I, mm-hmm. the, the, the curious thing about these books is that it, it helps to have a timeline of Argentine history and to know some of the political uh, mm-hmm. uh, ups and downs, but it really isn't necessary. And I, I almost wonder if 
if you if you and Elon had discussions about that in terms of publishing that, or is it yeah is it simply a, a question of you know this is a, a writer who tried to sequester himself, and so the the some of the social context is kept at bay. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, kind of that—that that is like a you know a decision you have to make right away in terms of using footnotes um, or you know devices like that. Um, and we were fairly against doing that from the beginning. Um, partly, you know, I think it partly ties into kind of like Piglia's own um, sort of theory of 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 being a reader and a critic. Um, you know, he he's he's very interested in detective fiction throughout his life but that's very connected to kind of like a, an orientation of how to how to read a text um and so you know uh i think it's important to the kind of like require a bit of work on the part of the reader um if you know it to, to kind of go deeper and deeper into it in a way that uh the, the footnotes can kind of like do some of that work for you, but also will have like sort of a, you know, kind of like necessarily a separate agenda based on who creates them. Um, uh, and so, and it's kind of, it can kind of narrow uh, your reading or, or sort of like move it in a particular direction um, well, where, you know, whereas if you're, if you're kind of in- investigating it fully yourself, you know, that's not necessarily an issue. Well, that's exactly, that's exactly what's happening to me, Robert, because I, I, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a, I'm an intuitive reader. I have been like that all my life. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, have a sort of progr- yeah. programmatic reading that I do. Like I need to cover this literature, this yeah, literature, too. I just kind of follow my nose. <laughs> and so I've dipped into Latin American literature quite a bit, but not systematically. So this reading, mm-hmm. In the formative years, reading the, the the middle volume, it it really gave me a crash course yeah. in, in Latin American literature that I will then myself will follow up because I have a little flavor now of what Roberto Arlt is like, uh, mm-hmm. which I, I've never heard of him. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So, kind of a Burroughs type of figure, um, and mm-hmm. I have all these like different threads that I can sort of follow from these books and really explore Latin American literature on my own. Exactly, uh, and I'm also very curious. To- Interesting that you're saying that because because uh, Piglia is the, the sort of the quintessential city writer. He's the cosmopolitan person. He, in these diaries, you get a sense, especially now during the pandemic when we're all stuck inside. It's, it was just wonderful to be having these imaginary walks with him around Buenos Aires, uh, getting drunk at four in the morning, walking the streets. Um, but yet he's got this. Uh, maybe this is something part of um, the formative years where you know his father such a supporter of Perón. Um, and because of his father's political activity, they're forced to flee the city, right? They move to, was it La Plata? Yeah, Mar del Plata. Um, it's, is it uh, kind of, a, I'm, I'm thinking of it as sort of a non-city-like environment, right? It's it's in the boondocks. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a coastal town, sort of like directly south of Buenos Aires, for, you know, much further down the coast. But yeah, compared to compared to Buenos Aires, you know, a completely different environment. Right. So he's got this tension of going back and forth between the two places. He's also has a very complicated relationship with his parents. I guess like we all do, but mm-hmm. but it's um, I, I'm just wondering because you know, the whole Peron thing keeps coming up. It's so it's just like it's just it's embedded in Argentine's psyche or something. And we we can't just we can't just ignore him. So we need to somehow <laughs> somehow deal with Mr. Perone. Yeah. And how is this? Uh, maybe Robert, you can talk to the or Elon. When anybody wants to jump in, because I'm 
I've heard of Peron. I know the situation in general, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's overwhelming to the Argentinians. It seems like they're they're steeped in it. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 a really complex history because you know first of all you look at uh, Piglia's life kind of like. Uh, he was born in 1941, and just you know, it was just a couple of years after that the Perón kind of you know rose to power, um, and uh, you know he's an incredibly popular, um, you know, sort of like populist leader, kind of like not least because of Evita Perón, um, and then you know, kind of like uh, very polarizing in certain ways, and they're kind of like factions within you know right and left factions within Peronism, um, but then. Uh, you know, just just at kind of at the time that this trilogy of books begins, um, he is there's a, there's a military coup and Peron is is you know forced into exile, and as a result of that, Piglia's father uh, is jailed for kind of like his continued support of Peron, um, and and so you know there's kind of like back and forth between these these different forces, you know, in, in Argentina, kind of like growing in their intensity, which, you know, it, it, you can it you can trace it directly through the three volumes. Um, the second volume is called The Happy Years. And, it, you know, Happy Years partly, um, you know, it, I think it was, it was pretty funny. There was a, I think one of the reviews of, of the translation when it came out, the reviewer just said, Happy Years, like these aren't what's happy, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's kind of happy, uh, you know, relative, in, in relative terms, it's happiness. Right. Um, you know, well, for him personally, personally for him, things were really opening up, right? The second volume. Exactly. He's, he's really, he's becoming, you know, he's becoming a writer. He's, he's very active. Uh, but also for the, you know, I think that, that volume basically lines up with when he is the editor of uh, La Serie Negra, like the black series where he's kind of introducing a lot of detective fiction. Which was very popular, detectives. right? It became extraordinarily popular. Yeah. And, you know, like all, all these kind of writers like Dashiell Hammett and, you know, people like that. Um, but also it's a period of sort of relative uh, stability for the country. Um, you have you have the um, you know, you have the return of Perón kind of like partway through that, um, although he he dies about a year later. He does. He, he doesn't remain in power too long. But there's kind of, you know, it, uh, the the sort of like result uh, of Perón's of Perón's initial rule was a period of kind of like. Um, stability by comparison to what would come later, which which uh, basically happens in the third volume, um, uh, you know, uh, lines up with what, what's called the Dirty War. Um, you know, it was a period of of terrible repression when you know, um, you know I think it's estimated somewhere like around thirty thousand people uh, were were killed. Uh, you know, um, by like, like right-wing forces um, in a in a you know regime that was backed by the United States government. Well, some of his friends, some of his friends get jailed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he has to be on the run uh, several times. Um, mm -hmm. Exactly, so there's, and there's this... he he talks about. Uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but he talks no, about. You know, he 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 sees certain friends who are who are much more politically active than himself. You know, he see he's kind of. Uh, you know, very active kind of intellectually, but but sort of takes a back seat in, in terms of like direct action. Um, and yet he's constantly, you know, especially in those times, he's constantly in fear that uh, that that, you know, his his work will uh, be his downfall in a certain way. Um, and he's seeing you know, he's seeing, uh, you know, other intellectuals and people he knows um, disappearing or being, uh, you know, taken for questioning. Um, and so, you know, I think that. Uh, 
you know, it's partly like his, his theory of paranoid fiction and detective fiction. I think a lot of that comes from the idea that, you know, the political context that you read something in affects your way of reading. And, you know, some of these, some of these kind of detective stories might be kind of um, depoliticized, you know, it's kind of like pulp work in, in their, possibly in their original context. But if you're reading them in a context when, uh, when people are disappearing for political reasons, rather than kind of like a one-on-one murder scenario, then, uh, you, you know, it, it completely changes your way of reading, I think. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I, I think his, his writerly activity, uh, exposed him, uh, just, just by necessity to, to, to threats, because I mean, the first, the first magazine he works on, right. He's, it's called literature and society, I believe in Spanish. Um, so. and so the, the, the political question is never far from his mind. Yeah. He obviously doesn't want to incorporate it directly into his writing or fiction in, in, in a kind of, um, ill-regarded or ill-thought way, mm-hmm. uh, he has to come in sort of through the back door. He recognizes that. But I'm wondering uh, about his activity as a writer, as a public intellectual in Argentina during those times. He he both wanted to be public and wanted to be hidden. Mm-hmm. And there's a tension between the two. Uh, yeah. So I'm just wondering if there's a how much of his political writing in those magazines is 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 explicit and how much of it is is sort of implicit yeah i mean i think uh i, I you know i'm not i'm not uh, as much of a scholar about his his uh you know political work but i think he was he was kind of you know more he was more you know on the on the order of of kind of like putting his name on petitions and things like that you know um and slightly taking more of a back seat um but you know it's interesting because he's 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 constantly sort of like critiquing uh, the work of these of these uh, writers who do make themselves public. You know, um, well, it's an important point for him to. Uh, it's an aesthetic point uh, mm-hmm. to to not I mean, the whole the whole tension between life and art. Uh, I guess this mm-hmm. is a subset of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. He he makes a very conscious aesthetic choice. Uh, not to deal with the political situation explicitly, uh, he mm-hmm. thinks it's the wrong thing to do uh, aesthetically. Uh, so yeah, and I, yeah, and I think yeah, he's he he wants forms. He wants to kind of like work toward new forms uh, that will address politics in the right way. And he's and he, I think he's he's against kind of like very sort of like on the nose you know, political writing. right. He's also, he's also interested in the, so the, the reactionary nature of Borges or Celine, uh, people who had this, this, uh, this way of sort of standing outside of the, the current historical moment and saying, Hey, this is, this is what's going on. Uh, but yeah. he's also critiquing them, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think Borges every... got a lot of flack for, for being, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, for not responding to the terror that was going yeah. on around him, I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, there, there is some, you know, some good scholarship now that's kind of looking at Borges again and finding, um, you know, political elements that were sort of, you know, kind of hidden um, in plain sight in various ways. But he definitely, uh, you know, is more, you know, you can you can totally read him as as just kind of like a formalist sometimes. Um, right. Well, Elon was saying yeah. that 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 the Borges is such a, 
an influence on him, and you can certainly see it. But he's also trying to distance himself, like any any young writer who wants his own turf, yeah. so to speak. He's got the the, <laughs> the one side Corazar, you know, with his kind of orality and his uh-huh. his massive popularity at the time. Yeah. Uh, and Borges, of course, and he's trying to go against the grain. He's going against mm-hmm. what everybody else is doing, which yeah. takes balls. I mean, it's it's courage because he wasn't maybe he could have maybe made more money or been been more visible, more uh, lauded. But he chose consciously again. And this is uh, time after time. I'm so impressed with these diaries and these conscious decisions that that really in the short term, maybe even the long term hurt him in a way, maybe financially or in some other ways. Uh, but in the long term, the that fidelity he has to his aesthetic sense uh, is just precious because it's, it's, that's, the, that's the gold that we're all talking about here today. Um, you know, we, we know that uh, Piglia um, obviously had to be very sophisticated and conversant with English, having teaching in the U.S. and and being such a reader of uh, North American fiction, what do we know? Did he ever contemplate uh, translating his own work uh, into English, or was that just something that he uh, felt he 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 wouldn't do? Uh, just curious about that. I think he's very committed to Spanish, and particularly Argentine Spanish as well. You know, and I think also that he. Uh, you know, he. I think he. He think he was. He was in. A, you know, in a way, it. It would have. It would have taken time away from his other projects. You know, um, and you, you mentioned Argentine Spanish. Is that uh, how? Uh, what distinguishes that from uh, well, Mexican so Spanish or something? Certain ways, like the pronunciation is is can be quite different. Mm. You know, has. Um, uh, but also, you know, it has it has a lot of uh, dialects. There's you know an entirely different uh, like vos form. You know, the vocabulary is very different. There's a lot of Italian influence. Wow, it's fascinating. Uh, well, I think we're I think we're pretty much getting to the end. And uh, I just wanted to thank you so much, guys, for, for sharing your knowledge of Piglia and your, your love of Piglia. I just want to f- kind of as a, as a, as a parting shot, um, try to uh, try to see how what what is the way forward with reading Piggly and, and sort of exposing him to the to the wider world because mm-hmm. I, I've come across some interesting um, uh, documentaries, for instance, um, that only a few of them have actual subtitles. So I can't, you know, there's a lot of stuff is inaccessible. So Robert, please keep working, man. Keep, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think Elon just mentioned something about a, a, a novel from his, from his uh, Princeton days. Yeah, that was, uh, it, was so, it was his last yeah. novel. Uh, and I think we published it just a couple of mi- a couple of months before the uh, last volume of the diaries came out. And that's actually, you know, I think that it's only become yeah, it is. And I think it's only oh, going to become, okay. uh, it's called The Way Out in English. I think it's only going to become kind of more clear over time how sort of interconnected all of his work is. Um, that's a great, that's a great book to read kind of like just having finished the diaries because the the very last section of the third volume, which has these days without dates, these kind of fragments from his later life in Princeton, mm-hmm. uh, are some of them are explicitly used as kind of the starting point of the novel. Um, and so you can really see uh, you know, how he kind of like repurposed material, sometimes verbatim from the diaries. And I think that that, that kind of the extent of that, uh, you know, in, in his previous books, um, so those that have been translated and those that haven't are, it's only going to become kind of like more clear the extent to which he was doing that already. Um, and I think actually just, uh, 
another plug. I think about a week ago uh, in Spanish, his com- his collected stories were just released, um, which is kind oh, of wow. a huge project. And, you know, I, I think it'll be a long time before that would appear in English because it's, you know, like eight or 900 pages. But um, <laughs> uh, what know. about the essays? You, you Elon mentioned the essays, mm-hmm. uh, which are I just surely are treasure trove. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see how, you know, what an incisive reader and critic he is in the diaries. And it's kind of only a only an expansion of that. Uh, and I think it also, you know, it just it shows how international his reading was, um, you know, for, you know, from a young age, partly, you know, as, as Leon was talking about, by the, the environment of being in Argentina at that time. Well, he's he's a voracious reader. And I, I, I failed to mention this in the beginning because I, uh, the first thing that struck me as I started reading the diaries, just not knowing anything about Piglia at all, uh, is the scene with his mother. It's one of the first entries where she's reading a book and she she's always reading a book. So it's reading, the, the reading mother is both, give him this example of sort of, you know, you read, that's how you live. Mm-hmm. But also there's a, I don't want to play Dr. Freud here, but there's some, some sort of a distance. It's kind of a, there's a book between him and his mother. <laughs> and so what does he do for the rest of his life? He, he goes into the book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so gentlemen, this has been really, really a, a pleasure. Uh, I think Rob's having some issues with his uh, feed though. So I'll just, I'll just end this by thanking you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, I really want us. the rest of them. You know, Piglia to be more entered to the mainstream because uh, it's an incredible uh, achievement. These diaries, particularly, and I'm really looking forward to to reading more. So, thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We really, really appreciate your reading of it. That was guests Elon Starvins and Robert Kroll talking about Ricardo Piglia's The Diaries of Emilio Renzi, available from Restless Books. To round out this episode, here's a short epilogue from Robin Roman. So, uh, Roman, one one of the themes that you know um, I want to pick up on, and and uh, I had asked uh, Elon about was this idea of the Argentine language, the 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 national language, as Piglia talks about um, in the third book. There's a scene where um, Emilio Renzi. Is seeing his doctor and he says, you know, I'm, I'm old, I'm sick. And, and, uh, he says, the language is making me sick. The language is, has, uh, has done this to me. And obviously it's a, it's a really interesting metaphor. And I, I tossed a question out to Elon somewhat related to that. And I said, um, you know, I said, what was, what was it like for Piglia to actually live in the same, time and space as the originator of Argentine literature, Borges. You know, he, he, he met him, as you pointed out, and um, he saw him on a bus one time and he waved and Borges sort of nodded or waved. And, and um, I knew as soon as I'd asked Elon that question that he corrected me rightly. And he said, well, uh, Borges wasn't actually the originator of Argentine literature, maybe modern Argentine literature, but he went back to the gaucho poetry. And I remember that because there is an essay by Borges, and I think it's called something like On Argentine Literature. And he talks about the gaucho poetry, which is foundational, right, for Argentina. But I think the the point is that this this burden that Piglia had to live in this, you know, to have his generation cross over with the master. And and I, I sort of joked about, 
you know, what, what would it be like if, uh, uh, you know, a, a contemporary Spanish novelist had to occasionally run into Cervantes on the street? I mean, uh, that, that's a lot of pressure. So, so I, I think that that is a way to think about, you know, because I know you're really fascinated with Piglia as the, 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 the dedication to his profession, the sense of honor he had to not compromise. I don't know if, you, if that gets to some themes that you're... Oh you no! Know, absolutely, to talk absolutely. about. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, the, when you mentioned the, the the third volume and how how he thinks that you know this, the writing is causing him this this suffering, uh, this goes back to the the first volume really because it's it's a theme throughout the the diaries and especially when he wrestles with the Pavese's uh, diaries. Uh, there's a quote here I have. The writer. This is from Pavese. Uh, the writer is a hero who discovers how to use suffering in the economy of expression in the same way that saints discovered the utility of pain in the religious economy. So, so for Piglia, it seems pain kind of purifies words. Um, I think it's actually an entry that he has. Um, so it, it, it does seem like it's, uh, he's so committed. He's just so committed to, to the writerly life. Um, it's, it's like, um, he refuses to compromise. It's part of the, the doubling theme uh, where you know, he creates this, this character, Emilio Renzi, but he also thinks about, throughout his diaries, about, you know, for instance, his cousin, who, who looks like him, who stayed in Buenos Aires, who led a, a quote-unquote ordinary life. He got married, had kids. And so he's looking at him like, I, I could have had that, but yeah. I didn't. He chose... He chose a very difficult path and very consciously, which is why I'm so impressed with him. Um, I'm trying to find a quote here mm. about that. Um, oh, give me a second. Um, yes, here it is. Protect yourself well from making art a secondary occupation because yeah. the gods who watch over general mediocrity will punish you. Yep. So so this this commitment to not settling to not going for the mediocre path which is a lot of times if not always easier uh because you get more accepted you have more you know immediate sort of gratification but he again and again and this is the persistence of it it's not just like that he feels like that one year and then he just gives up no again and again over the years over the decades he pushes himself he distances himself from women from love from from kind of sort of ordinary things um, in order to to have this pure, quote unquote, pure, because really there is no such thing, but this this purer relationship to art. You know, that's also, I think, connected to something that he, he, he tries to do as a writer. He tries to sort of go between the, the sort of the pure abstraction, the pure abstractive you know, writers like Sabato, for instance, or the ones that are, totally like into life itself like henry miller he thinks both are are wrong and he he uses the diary to sort of excavate ways of going between those two those two extremes uh yeah dude i I'm, it's like you you just throw out so many so many threads i don't even know where know. to go with that um <laughs> and, and that's and that's what these that's what these books really open up i mean I'll, I'll, a couple of things that occur to me one is you know my first introduction to like serious writing was when we were teenagers and it was it was obviously related to to some of your interests and 
I think one of the first books I ever bought in Harvard Square when we were kids was not not Thoreau's Walden, but Thoreau's Journals. Um, I picked mm. it up at the Harvard Bookstore. And um, so it's really interesting that journals were my entryway into, you know, serious literature. And it, it does make me think of like, what if Thoreau had actually, you know, thrown a alter ego uh, layer um, over, you uh-huh. know, I right, right, over, <laughs> over Walden and over his journals? I mean, it, it, it probably never occurred to him, but the, the, he, I mean, it's hard to argue that he didn't already get as deep as you could ever get with what he did, but it, it does make you think. Um, well, so, you know, Thoreau might not, sorry to interrupt you, just, but just before we lose that point, but Thoreau didn't have that tool, which is, a, I think, a 20th century yeah. tool of this of this distancing in a way. Uh, I love this little quote from, from Piglia. I am reading Stendhal and Melville to discover what part of us was already present in the 19th century. So the part that, that sort of Piglia brings to the table as far as the, his relationship to the diary uh, doesn't seem to be present in the 19th century. So Thoreau had no sort of conceptual framework in which to insert that kind of thing into his, his thinking or mm-hmm. you know, his worldview. So you know, it's, 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 a, it's a later invention that's a kind of Kafkaesque. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not a Kafkaesque. I mean, it's just stupid thing to say i'm not exactly sure what the origin of that is uh of this kind of doubling i suppose all artists all writers do that in one sense um create a sort of alter ego that that there is the writer um but piggly really right. pushes that he almost even though there's always i me or emilia renzi which is obviously an alter ego but the the, the ego ego seems to be missing from here from these diaries because he he circles this mysterious ego with various sort of uh, approaches but this is not an ego based diary you know i did something today or i thought something right. today type of deal right yeah you, you mentioned um pavese the the italian communist poet whose diaries clearly were a huge inspiration and they, and they appear again and again um, in his diaries. And I, and I asked, um, Elon, you know, was this a peculiar interest of, um, of Piglia or was this book, you know, more popular at the time or Pavese, was he more popular? And he, Mm -hmm. he answered, yes, the late, the latter that, um, you know, in the fifties, um, his brand of, of politically aware, uh, literary seriousness, um, uh, you know, these books were were in circulation, and and certainly he also pointed out that um, you know Pigli is is Argentine uh, Italian, right in his an- ancestry. Um, right. So I think there was also a kind of you know cultural connection. I I, I was just reading um, uh, a wonderful essay by Martin Scorsese in uh, Harper's, and he goes on about Fellini, his appreciation for the Italian director, and. And, and really talks about, you know, being Italian-American, how there's also this extra layer of identification with Fellini as an Italian. And I almost wonder if probably it was a little bit similar with Piglia, um, you know, that that the old country uh, affinity. Um, the, the Italian connection, he, he um, throughout the diaries, he, he has these various sort of story ideas that he works out through the diaries. Um, and he's got the story idea where he goes to it, what he, you know, the, the protagonist goes to Italy uh, to, I believe, write about Pavese. Um, it goes to Turin, I think. 
so there's a and his and his grandfather, uh, of course, uh, fought in Italy. Right. Uh, his grand the whole grandfather connection is fascinating, and I I'm I'm afraid we're not going to have the time to explore this because it's going to take at least another hour or two. But um, first of all, I saw connections between his relationship. Yeah, you know, he his grandfather as Emilio Renzi, well as as Piglia, <laughs> as Piglia grows up and during this first uh, volume, as he's growing up and getting his education, his grandfather supports him by sort of hiring him to arrange his um, the, all the all the letters that his grandfather kept. His grandfather was he, he fought in the in the war in Italy. Uh, uh, I forget exactly which war it is. I'm sorry, but he, the, he was the first world war. Yeah. Was it the First World War? Yes. Um, and he he was obviously just completely marred by that experience. Um, and he was responsible, I believe, for keeping letters or delivering the letters that, that soldiers wrote but then died, uh, which kind of reminded me a little bit of the you know Melville's Bartleby and the Dead Letter Office. Um, so he carries these letters and he carries these the consciences of these fallen soldiers. Uh, Really on his on his soul and his, his grandfather is amazing. He not only puts uh, Bigley as sort of uh, supports him throughout his education by just paying him basically for you know just hanging out with him. Um, it also reminded me a little bit of the strong connection uh, that Bernhard Thomas Bernhard had to his grandfather growing up. Uh, that was sort of a male figure for for Bernhard. His grandfather was also a writer. Um, so uh, there's, there's a harrowing entry, uh, really, really gave me the goosebumps, uh, where, where later in, in life, when, um, I think his grandfather, grandfather passes away, uh, Piglia goes to visit his grandfather's lover, who is this old lady, uh, she's got dementia, right? So he goes to visit her, uh, and, and then she thinks that, uh, he is his grandfather. She just totally mm. treats him like his, you know, her lover came back to visit her. So it's a, mm. it's a really, uh, uh, it just gave me totally, total shivers because I was uh, just trying to imagine that scene as it's happening and how he felt. Um, so I, it's, it's really, it's really the whole Italian connection, World War One, and the grandfather is super important here, uh, at least in the first volume, and I think it kind of determines everything else that. Is written. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's worth considering that um, I think that Argentina, I, I'm certainly no expert on the country, but um, we were, my wife and I were planning a trip there, uh, you know, before the, before the world pandemic. And so I was reading up on it a little bit. And I think things have changed within the last, you know, 20, 30 years. But the time period that Piglia is writing, I mean, Argentina is still looking to Europe for, for so much of its sense of, um, tradition, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really still looking back, um, at the old country and, and, you know, Italian immigration had, had really dominated Italy along with, I think there was a fair amount of, uh, German immigration as well. Um, and I think Argentina is, you know, now has more of a sense of itself being a South American country and, and its relationship to the countries oh, that, sure. that yeah, surround yeah. it, but I think Piglia, you know, in the in the in the sixties and seventies, you're you're seeing it worked out where um, you know the old country is still um, you know the dominant reference, and and I think you 
um, he his fellow writers throughout the journals are are often going back and forth between Europe, right? And you can still feel the sense that like you you have to go to Italy or you have to go to France or you have to go to Spain to try to you know earn your stripes a little bit. Um, doesn't he and, doesn't he win a prize uh, a literary prize that's a trip to Paris? <laughs> right. I yes. wish I wish there were more prizes like that. Jeez. Yes. Um, and and it it brings me to a point that uh, I wanted to bring up that uh, I had asked Elon about, and this this was a, a gem for me. So I had asked Elon. I'd said, um, you know, uh, so Elon uh, is a Mexican native, and so I naturally uh, was eager to talk to him about Sergio Pitol, uh, or maybe Sergio in an American pronunciation, Sergio Pitol, who. Um, is this incredible Mexican writer who won the Cervantes Prize? He he died probably five or six years ago after a long life. He was you know a mon a, a monster. He was a, a giant uh, in in the Spanish language literature. But I, I adore him. There's not a lot that's available in English right now, but there is um, these three books called the Trilogy of Memory, and they are they're nonfiction, um, and they remind me of these diaries um, because they're they're a mix of genres. They're part memoir, part uh, literary criticism. They're partly a, a, a journal of his, you know, struggles and achievements as a writer. And they're also um, reflections on the various countries that he lived and served in as part of the, um, he worked for the Mexican Foreign Service. So I was, I was looking at their ages and they were, you know, pretty rough contemporaries. So I, I said, Elon, you know, did they know each other? Did they respect each other? What, what was the deal there? And he said, oh, yes. And he said, Piglia was a fairly shy man who, you know, didn't hobnob much with fellow writers and, and um, just wasn't his thing, as you were indicating. But he admired Pitol and they sounds like they had a, a correspondence of some kind. And so, of course, I was just thrilled to hear that. And, um, and he also made uh, Elon, that is, a connection of you know these three writers that have emerged from from this time period in in I forget how he phrased it but he talked about Piglia, Pitol and Bolaño. And so you have the Argentine, the Chilean and the Mexican writer and and those are my three favorites right there. Um mm. and so um and and it's interesting also cuz you were very, you know, passionate and candid also saying that you know, you, you haven't read a ton uh, of Latin American right. literature and you're feeling your way. And, and Piglia is almost like a template for you to, to explore. And I, I love that. Absolutely. And I, I think I, that's, uh, that's one of the biggest, I mean, that's one of the biggest things. I, I look, me, I look forward to yeah. you reporting back. <laughs> well, look, it's a, it's a lifetime of reading for crying out loud. There's no way, I don't know how, how he managed to read so much. And you know, we talked a little bit about, about his mother and how she always read, according to the diaries, his mother apparently averaged an all, a novel a day. So this is the kind of this is the kind of reader Piglia becomes. It becomes a voracious reader to the point where he has hallucinations and and weird headaches and and, and just these weird mental things. And he goes to the doctor, and the doctor goes, "You're reading too much." <laughs> you know, he, he he read himself into illness. I mean, so so it's. There's no way I can keep up with something. I mean, I'm I'm already you know, more than halfway into the grave as far as my life goes. <laughs> but um, there's just no way. So, but 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 having said that, um, 
I can't pick and choose. And that's one of the incredible gifts that these diaries give you. Uh, he has done the heavy lifting uh, and the sifting. And now here you go. Take, take, take the baton and run with it and do what you will with it. Because there's, unless you are a 20-year-old super reader, there's no way you can match uh, Piglia's reading list. However, you can sort of uh, cheat a little bit and, and go for the highlights. What, what did he particularly like? What did really make sense to him? And so I'm going to use that as my map to, uh, for further explorations uh, uh, of Latin American literature. I mean, I have also, I mean, you know, there's so many tendrils uh, coming, coming out of this. I mean, there's Sarmiento, Macedonia Fernandez that I would love to check out. Um, uh, there's a, a Cuban novelist, uh, Lima. Uh, that I uh, that I think Andre from the Untranslated was 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 uh, championing as well. Yeah. So I have a bunch of ways into you know going south of the border for me, uh, and yeah. again because I have not been that exposed to it, uh, I'm I'm extraordinarily excited because you know I'm 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 a Eurocentric kind of guy. You know I, I was born in Eastern Europe. I I know Russians, so I kind of gravitated towards that, that, and the northern, the northern. You know, I'm I'm a northern guy. I love Scandinavia. You know, give me Austria. You know, Bernhardt. But I, it's important to to realize that it's a world of literature, not just a, a region. You know, <laughs> so I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that as a sort of a map to for further exploration for sure. Um, but I can't match him. There's, there's, I don't, there's no way. And, and I think it, in many ways, dude, um, Latin American literature um, is perfect for you in the sense that it is a self-conscious literature that, that, that is completely comfortable knowing that literature is built on the shoulders of other literature. And I think it starts with Cervantes, right? Who, I mean, think of Don Quixote, right? He's enthralled with these... Um, you know, chivalrous tales, right? So it's it's a very, um, uh, you know, it, it, literature is about literature. And, and by the way, he becomes quote unquote normal again when he stops reading. Sort of, he comes to quote unquote his senses when he stops reading, <laughs> when he stops using literature as you know to sort of climb climb these heights, but only by 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 ceasing to sort of believe in books or reading in general. So God save us from that fate. You can follow the Feeling Bookish podcast on Twitter at Feel Bookish and Instagram at Feeling Bookish Podcast. Thanks for listening.